Welcome to Security Talks Weekly, the audio show that explores the intersections between cybersecurity, digitalization, and education. I'm your host, Alexandre Maral. This podcast is brought to you by the Swiss Cyber Institute, the human-centric cybersecurity education center and digital community in Switzerland. In this episode, we interview Sjak Schautogen, the cyber development leader at Marsh. In our conversation, we go over the major trends and cyber insurance claims that are happening in continental Europe, with special focus on ransomware. Sjak talks about the main industries that are being targeted by attackers and how criminals are now becoming part of organized crime with proper hierarchies and structures. Yet, not all hope is lost, so stay with us until the end of the episode to hear more about his suggestions on how cybersecurity professionals can put up a proper fight. Sjak, thanks for being here with us. Thank you, Alex, and I'm very happy to be here. Thank you. Super. So today we're going to be discussing some of the findings of the Changing Face of Cyber Claims Report, a study recently published by Marsh in 2021 about the major trends in cyber attacks that are happening in continental Europe. And I'm really looking forward to that discussion. But first, Jak, I think you're the first guest that we have here on the show that works directly with cyber insurance. So I was hoping you could demystify a little bit what that is for our audience. Yeah, sure. Uh, So I've been working uh, in this industry for about uh, a bit more than 10 years now. And what uh, me and my team do is mainly help clients uh, qualify their cyber risks. So uh, make scenario analysis uh, of what type of scenarios could take place in terms of cyber risk, quantify the financial impact of a cyber incident and manage the risk. And one of the ways you can manage a cyber risk is by transferring it to a cyber insurance. And cyber insurance has been around for about 30 years now, mainly coming from the Anglo-Saxon countries. Primarily, it was mainly focused on uh, liability issues. And what we see in continental Europe, and that's also the reason why we called the claims report the changing face of cyber, is that it is more entailed on business interruption and incident response. And actually, cyber insurance covers all three of those uh, compartments, as you would say. So it's not only giving out insurance in the case a loss happens, but also giving that assistance and advice to businesses. Yeah, that's true. And for most, no, well, not most companies, but for most SME companies, that's the main focus that they have in their insurance, a number, like an emergency number that they can call. And if they call them within an hour, there's a team ready for them that could help them. And that team exists of ICT forensic uh, companies legal advice, and PR advice. And we see that that is very beneficial to our clients because a lot of companies don't have that type of resources uh, at their disposal. And now they can have that in their uh, insurance. And it also they also give pre-incident advice at some times as well. So it helps on both sides. So pre-loss and post-loss. Now, I was hoping we could go through some of the current trends you found on the Cyber Claims Report. For instance, the percentage of malicious events is rising when we compare it to previous years. Was there something that particularly caught your attention? 
Well, one of the most interesting things is that it was not uh, unexpected that we saw. So that's also good for us that we, we see these results deriving from our claims is not totally different than uh, we hear from the security experts or from the insurers. So that's, that's always a good thing. What's daunting to us is, of course, the rise in ransomware claims. The rise is not only in terms of absolute numbers, so there are a lot of more claims, but what is daunting to us is that the fact that the financial impact of those claims is uh, rising rapidly. And unfortunately, that will be the case probably for the coming years as well, because the business model for the cyber criminals is just that good that there's a the whole industry behind it that is very difficult to stop at the moment. So not only the number of claims is rising, I see that we also have a change from previous years where ransomware used to account for 14% of all claims up to 2019, and now it has reached 32% of the claims in 2020. But the impact of ransomware is also spreading across industries. So not only financial institutions are being targeted, as they always have been, I see also that manufacturing and communication technology companies are suffering quite a lot with attacks lately. Well, let me just grab on the first point you said. Uh, yes, there's an increase. Uh, now uh, we see that ransomware incident entails 32% of the total uh, book of claims, but that's actually probably a lower estimate, a lower number than than the real number because we only see or we only identify an incident as a, a ransomware incident when there is actually a demand for ransom. But we also have uh, malware claims where there hasn't been uh, a ransomware claim, but you would expect it to eventually come to a ransomware demand, but it was just stopped in tracks, In the, the criminals were stopped in their tracks. So actually the 32% is probably a lower number than the real number it is, but it's the only way we could identify a ransomware case by the fact that there was actually a demand on ransomware. But we see a lot of more hacks that would probably result in a ransomware demand, but the criminals were stopped in their tracks. But to your second question, uh, the claims per industry, well, financial institutions has always been on top. That's because it's a very uh, for interesting industry, of course, for criminals, but also because financial institutions were the first companies to buy insurance. So, of course, we only look at claims on a cyber insurance. So the more uh, companies that have a cyber insurance in a particular industry would also have the most claims. So that's not uh, surprising that they would be on top. Manufacturing, on the other hand, is increasing rapidly due to the fact that they are buying more insurance, but also that we see a large increase in the claims uh, within manufacturing because the cyber criminals have really uh, seen that manufacturing companies are putting so much effort in digitalization, in working more efficiently, working more productively via ICT. This is also, of course, for the cyber criminals, uh, an easy target, therefore, because if you stop the IT system for a manufacturing company, uh, the business interruption is immense. Uh, and that's the way they want to hurt that type of company and uh, ask for ransomware. So they're taking advantage of these industries that are just now coming to digital to prey upon the systems. And it's really fascinating to see, isn't it, Jak, how the cybersecurity and the digital landscape as a whole is changing so quickly in the past few months. Yeah, and it's a clear trend. Uh, but also, you know, what I always say, because I don't want to be too daunting or uh, uh, like a fear monger, 
what we see in all those industries that there are so much upsides to the digitization. You know, we as a as companies and as society, we are experiencing so much more efficiency due to the digitization. But if there's any new topic, there's always a new risk as well. And that's what we see in a lot of companies that they still, they are aware that there are cyber risks, but they are mostly not aware on the exact output or the exact downside of a cyber incident. You know, they, they, they most of the times they think, oh, of course, there could be some incident, but we'll probably manage. But if we ask some simple questions like, okay, so who will manage this? What will you do? What type of legal advice should you have? Is it only on privacy or do we have some contracts that are in place and that acquire you to produce and to deliver to your main clients? Uh, how would that work if there's a business interruption? And those type of pretty simple questions, often companies don't know the answer to it. And I think that's something to have a good look at for all the listeners. Look at your strategy for the coming three years, how digitalization will be a part of that probably. And also look at, okay, so if there's a disruption in that digitalization, how would that impact my company and the strategy of the company? I think those are questions that we see when we look at claims or when we have interviews with our clients that they are not really aware of. And that's the importance of being prepared, right? To assess your strategy, your risk management, not to be fear-mongering, but actually to push the business forward. Yeah, to elaborate on that, because we often see that risk management in general, or cyber risk management in my case, is seen as a showstopper, right? It's something that will stop innovation or stop the production within a company. And we actually see it more as a, I often use the, in my presentation, I use a, a picture of a, of a Porsche or a Ferrari or other fast car. And then I say, hey, we are the brakes on this car. And it doesn't mean that we're slowing you down. No, the reason that this car can go so fast is because they have very good brakes. So we're not a showstopper, but we are the enabler for innovation. And I think that's something to take away for the listeners as well, that cyber risk management is, is not something that should stop your business model or stop innovation. No, it's something that you should look at in the beginning as a part of your strategy for the coming years. And then it will not be an IT issue, but more a strategic issue. And we call it that the shifting cyber risk management to the left. So don't end with security or cyber risk management, but start with it so you can innovate faster than before. Siak, I'd also like to talk to you about the new criminal ransomware infrastructure, because that's quite disturbing. As you said, the actual number of ransomware attacks must be even higher than what the numbers depict. But now ransomware is becoming part of organized crime. The cyber criminals, they have hierarchies and defined infrastructures, and it's becoming more profitable as well. Yeah, what, what we're seeing now is that five to six years ago, you as a cyber criminal, you would still have to have some technical expertise to, to set something up like a, a ransomware. Then they came with ransomware as a service, just like you have software as a service, you have ransomware as a service. So you and I could just get ransomware for free, actually. And the deal that we make with the uh, developer would be that they get 20% of our revenues and the other parties would get, uh, like we would get 80% of our revenues. And what we saw there is that that business model was so good for the criminals that the organized crime just said, okay, this is our new game. This is what we're going to focus on. And the last uh, maybe two to three years, we saw more of spear ransomware, where they actually look at what type of segments 
is our sweet spot. So are we looking for financial institutions? Are we looking for manufacturing or hospitality or uh, healthcare? And that's the most interesting, but also daunting thing that we see is that they are so good in organizing themselves. We have seen that in some cases, they say on the, on the dark web, for example, hey, we have this type of company, we have some potential there, and we need this and this expertise. Can you just work with us for the coming months? They set up a split of revenue uh, if it's successful, and then they just go their separate ways. It's really organized crime, like network organizations that you see in startups, for example. That's the way they operate as well. And that's very uh, disturbing for us to see. So you have these core members who are developing the software for other criminals, and now there's no barrier for entry. Anyone who has a target in mind could potentially use their service. But how does their modus operandi work, Jak? Is there any particular entry point that they usually target? Uh, that's very difficult to say. We do see that uh, just attacking everything uh, automatically, that happens still quite a lot. I often compare it to uh, like a criminal that has a Molotov cocktail that's just throwing Molotov cocktails at your company 24-7, and there just has to be one mistake and they come in. That still happens. We also see them operating, trying to hack IT service providers, for example. That IT service provider is, of course, connected to several other companies, which it should probably protect. So if this IT service provider can't protect himself, how can it protect the other one? So that could be their point of entrance to a lot of other companies. And the other way is just, uh, of course, phishing mails is the most uh, common thing still. And that could be just shooting with hill type of phishing mails coming from uh, what we saw quite a lot, of course, uh, with COVID-19, where they said, hey, you know, a lot of people are sitting at home now on the devices of the company or not on the device of the company. They are in a bit of stress. So let's put out phishing mails and saying that we are the World Health Organization or a particular focused group in, in from their country, for example. We see a lot of claims arising from that as well. So the main thing that we see in general is that criminals are very well adapted to current events. So with COVID-19, they were like in a couple of days, the first fishing meals were there. So they are very well adaptive to current events. That's, the, that's the, probably the main thing that you should take out of this. Because uh, the modus operandi, it differs per organization, criminal organization. It could be that they have 60 affiliates for the bigger type of things. It could also be that they just automatically put out uh, malware to a lot of uh, companies. I think that comes through in some of the lessons the report highlights as well, together with resilience and having a proper incident response. But is there any way we can fight back, Jacques? I know their profit margins are growing, and sometimes it feels we're not getting enough funding to balance it out. But how can we put up a proper fight? There are a couple of things you know, that every company could do uh, properly, like multi-factor authentication has been proven way of mitigating the risk of a ransomware attack. And still we see a lot of companies that don't have that. So there are a couple of like technical things that most companies should have in place. In the bigger scheme of things, what we still see is that companies are focusing on, you, could, you can compare it to like a, a castle from the, the mid ages, that what they're trying to do is have a high wall or a thick wall, maybe a canal around that city as well. But what we see with a lot of companies that they're not prepared to act 
if something goes wrong. So we're all trying to keep the criminals out of our city via the walls. But what happens if they're in the city? What can we do then? And especially the, the recovery and response part of it, that is lacking. Because I, I, I always ask people, like, do you have uh, fire drills? And they say, yeah, twice a year. Okay, and then you know uh, somebody puts on a yellow jersey or a different kind of color, and you know who to follow, right? Yeah, yeah, we follow this and this and this procedure. I say, okay, and what will you do if there's a cyber incident? Who will put on the yellow jersey then? And often they, they get quiet then, and they probably look at the IT manager or something. I said, yeah, but that's not going to fit. You know, you need more. You need legal, you need HR, you need sales, et cetera, et cetera. And they are, most of the times, companies are not aware of it, that they have a lack in recovery and response. And why do they have that lack? Because they never test it. I see a lot of companies that don't have business continuity management in place or a disaster recovery plan in place in terms of cyber. And if it is in place, a lot of times it is outdated. Because, you know, a lot of companies are growing so fast and they're doing so much more than they did two years ago. The, the policies that they have in place are outdated and they don't test it. And I think that's the most important thing, test it. Test your response. So in the Castle example, it's not only about having that thick wall outside, but building different brick layers inside your citadel to contain threats, even if they come in through the front gate, for instance. That, that's actually pretty interesting. Yeah, and to go on, on in that uh, example of the of a medieval city, often we see that that we talk to IT and sales and legal, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. After two hours in our workshop, we often see the the this IT manager saying, "Oh, it's great that we do this because I didn't even know that we still had that data or that we were running this type of software because of that particular client." So actually, he's protecting a city, but he's not protecting the other city that has been built on because he's not aware that there is a city and there's no policy around it as well. So also having that conversation with sales, with the CFO, with legal department on what are we doing? What is our business model looking at the moment and in the coming two years? And how can cyber risk management enable that strategy is very important. So looking towards the future, the cyber landscape is changing. I think you're the right person to ask this question too, Jak, especially since we're talking about cyber insurance and ransomware. A lot of people ask themselves, you know, should we pay the ransom? Are we not giving incentives to these perpetrators? Ransomware is a rising problem, and unfortunately, we're going to have to deal with these situations more and more. So I wanted to hear a little bit of your take on that and on the ethical considerations as well. Yeah, well, of course, there's a lot of debate amongst ourselves as well and amongst ourselves uh, and, and governments as well. Uh, we have the same conversation in the Netherlands. What we see is actually that we don't have to pay ransomware uh, as much as the press would like to have us believe uh, on the cyber insurance. Uh, and that's the, the reason behind that is probably because you have that instant response in place in a cyber insurance. So for people that have insurance, they're not faced with their back to the wall immediately because they also have that instant response that they can lean on and, and get advice from and that they can help getting their systems back. But nevertheless, we, we see that we have to pay sometimes, and it's always a last resort because we don't want to give any more ammunition to the, you know, to the criminals, of course. So it's always a last resort. But to go to your question, also here, have that conversation within your company. Because the funny thing is, if I say to an IT person who's, who's, or IT manager, and I ask him or her, 
would you ever pay for ransomware? Most of the times, like 99% of the cases, they will say no, never. And if I don't ask the follow-up question, have you discussed this with your CFO or with your board of directors? Then the answer is mostly uh, no. Uh, and why? I said, well, I think it's very important that you have that conversation because it can be an easy thing to say from your point of view. But if if the ransomware attack is so imminent uh, that it's a business critical, then you might have another discussion. If there's the fact that your company can go bankrupt, uh, 10 or 100 or 1,000 families will uh, members will be out of a job and you cannot deliver stuff to your clients. All those aspects should be taken into account. And I think that's the most important thing for, for companies to say, hey, let's have that discussion before it happens uh, rather than have that discussion when it happens. Perfect. That's certainly a worthwhile discussion going forward. Thank you so much for being here with us, Jak. It was a great interview. Thank you very much. And once again, thank you for the invitation. Thanks for joining our conversation today. If you haven't already, subscribe to us in your favorite podcast listening app and get a brand new insightful episode every week. Security Talks Weekly is produced by the Swiss Cyber Institute and hosted by me, Alexandre Maral. The Swiss Cyber Institute is the human-centric cybersecurity education center and digital community in Switzerland. And our guest of today, Jack Schalteren, the cyber development leader at Marsh. If you have any questions regarding what we talked about, head over to the Swiss Cyber Institute's website and contact us. We read every comment and we might answer your specific question in a later episode. At the website, you'll also find our interview series with security experts as well as some helpful resources. There, we offer the Swiss Cyber Institute's courses, the most practice-oriented and interactive cybersecurity training in the market. Thanks once again for listening and we'll see you next time. Ciao!